Well, we've been walking through this summer through the book of Matthew and the book of John. And what I felt like God said in the beginning of this summer was that Jesus, he wanted us to be large in our eyes and in our lives. That was the kind of the call of this summer. And so last week we talked about John 14 and Jesus said, it's better that I leave because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And there is a space that the Spirit of God wants to show us himself that even though Jesus left, he didn't leave us as orphans, but the Holy Spirit now has come. And he's come to do this, to teach us what we need to know, and two, to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And this is what that means. Sin, because Jesus is gone, we, people need an example of something better, a better way to live. Not that the world provides, but that he provides. Two, justice, that we would be those that would stand up and stand for what's right, even when people don't stand. That we would advocate for those that have no right, because that's what we're made to do. And lastly, of judgment, when there's places of fear, when people are like, oh my goodness, like evil's going to win the day, that things aren't going to work, that we would stand with a conviction and say, it doesn't matter what it looks like, God wins. He wins. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do through each one of us, that there would be this conviction of righteousness, a conviction of how to live, of justice, that we would stand for what's right, despite what anyone does. And three, we would stand with a confidence, no fear in our heart. Why? Because Jesus wins. So Jesus said all this stuff while they were having dinner with his disciples. He's saying all these things. They're eating dinner. They leave. And then after they leave, they go to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane was a place that Jesus liked to go pray. And as he's going to pray, Jesus is on his way that uh, Judas, one of his beloved disciples, was about to betray him. And before that, Jesus goes to pray. They get to the garden, and before they pray, Jesus decided he had a few more words that he wanted to tell to his disciples. The title of today's message is this, Success. If you've got a Bible, go to... Um, Matthew, or sorry, John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Jesus is wanting, God is looking that we might have success in life. We would be fruitful in our life. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll step into this. Um, God, I just thank you that you have something that you want to share with us today. And we don't, God, none of us came to hear a preacher we came to hear from you. So God, I pray that everything of Jeremy would fade away and everything that's birth of the spirit would remain. I pray that we would remember what you have to say to us this morning. I just pray, um, Father, great vine dresser, would you speak to my heart, change my life? And I just simply say this, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We wanna hear what you have to say to us today. And everyone said, amen. Well, hey, let's read this. John 15, verse one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might be more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide 
in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. You know, there's um, seven times in the Bible that Jesus calls himself some sort of thing. He, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. He loved to take normal examples of something you saw and say, this represents who I am. And in this context, he's saying, I am the true vine. Last week, I was, I was kind of researching this, and I looked up a video on um, a vineyard and someone who is a vine dresser. And it showed this guy, he was talking about all the things he does for his vineyard to keep it safe. And I, I thought it was super interesting. He, he talked about how when it gets really cold, he would cover the vines um, up so that they wouldn't get frostbite. When it was really hot, he would go out in the early day to water the plants. When there was weeds, he would go out and pick them. He fertilized them and he pruned them. There is a ton that God wants to do in your life and in my life. Some of it we're really going to like and some of it we're not going to like at all. But the whole goal of what God wants to do in your life and my life is success. And success equals fruitfulness. Now, when you think fruitful, when I think fruitful in life, what comes to mind? Increase, probably, success, um, doing well. Um, I think a big thing that we think as, as Americans is more, more influence, more power, more, more whatever, more cash in the bank, more, more of something, more. But fruitfulness in the Bible is defined as this, Galatians 5.22. Can we pull that up? I know that's not in order, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So God's agenda in your life, in my life, is fruitfulness. And that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. His agenda as the vine dresser, and he looks at you as a branch, he's looking for fruit. He's looking to pick love off of your life. He's looking to pick patience off of your life. He's looking to pick self-control off of your life. A guy I really like, his name is Mike Bickle. He, he defined fruitfulness as this. Fruitfulness is about possessing love, humility, and purity, and then inspiring in others. We bear fruit inwardly in ourselves, and we bear fruit outwardly in our ministry and service to other people. 
So your fruitfulness is determined on a heart transformed and how your actions and your, who you are impacts the world around you. Probably some of the most influential, most fruitful people I know, their title is this, mom. Mothers who come with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. And if I've learned anything about parenting, sometimes you feel like you got nothing in the tank. There is no, you don't feel like there's any love in the tank, any peace in the tank, any self-control in your tank. All you got in your tank is like, you're, you're maybe not always the best things. And I find that sometimes when things get hard and it can sometimes feel like people are picking everything off of you and there's nothing left to pick. And I wonder if sometimes when people come to my life and they pick fruit off of me, what are they going to pick? Are they going to get skepticism? Are they going to get love? Are they going to get fear? Are they going to get patience? Are they going to get gentleness? Are they going to get rage? What are they going to pick when they come to pick? Because you find that people make withdrawals on you. People pull things out of you. They actually, they want something. And we're made... We're made that I'm meant to rely on you and you're made to rely on me. But it says this in scripture, unless you abide in me, you can do what? Nothing. You don't know how to, I don't know how to manufacture love, peace, patience, kindness. I don't have it in my repertoire the only space that that stuff can actually flow out of my life is in the space of abiding in Christ. And, and this is what I mean when I say abiding. I think abiding is really these three things. One, talking to Jesus. When I talk to him, I'm abiding. I talk to him, he talks to me. There's this like flow that's in my life in that relational connection with God. I'm checking in with God during the day. I'm, I'm, I'm with him in the morning, at night, whenever there's that space of just connecting with God, there is an abiding that happens in that space. Two, and this one I think is really cool, applying his promises. We abide in him by talking to him. We also abide in him when we read his word and we say, God, you promised this. I'm going to step into this. Svieta, do we have that slide? There's a few verses. If you, if you got a phone, I want you to take a snapshot of this. And I want you to try this out for this week. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Psalms 34, 10. Isaiah 40, 31. James 1, 5. 1 John 1, 9. Take a picture. And I want to, I want to encourage you this week to abide. And this is what I mean by this. Put action to these verses. Let me read them to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will direct your path. Try it. Two, Psalms 34.10. Lions can grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord don't lack anything. Interesting. Those that seek God don't lack anything. Isaiah 40, verse 31, those that wait for the Lord, who expect for, look for, hope in him, they shall grow in strength and power. You shall lift up their wings and they'll, they'll mount up close to God like eagles. They're going to run. They won't get tired. They'll walk and they won't faint. Take some time to wait on God. 
God promises to renew your strength. James 1 verse 5, and you can add verse 6 in this too. If any of you lack wisdom, you don't know what to do. Ask God who gives generously without finding fault, without picking teams. He gives wisdom to everyone who asks. You don't know what to do? Ask God. God will give wisdom. Little key on that one. Sometimes we don't stop enough, slow down enough to hear God. Give God time and space so you can actually hear what he's saying. And then lastly, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, in other words, saying, this is how I screwed up. He is faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. So I just want to challenge you this week, apply God's promises. Put action to this. So how do we abide? We talk to him. Two, we apply his promises. And three, we obey his leadership. Now, you don't earn anything by obeying God, but you do position yourself for what God has when you obey his voice. Sometimes that's as simple as what I said about walking in scripture and reading his word, but God will give you specific things for you to do. It might be as simple as buy this person coffee. It might be as simple as I want you to go to bed at this time. It might be as grandiose as I want you to move to Mongolia. Um, you might want to talk to a couple of people before you move to Mongolia, though. Make sure that works. But when you obey God, fruitfulness is the result. Something of impact flows out of your life. We talk to him. We apply his promises. We obey his leadership. Jesus said this in verse 1 of chapter 15. He said this, I am the true vine. That means there's some false vines out there. That means there's some things that you can connect yourself to that you might say, this is a source. This will fulfill my heart. This will give me what I need. The 17th episode of Friends on Netflix is going to be exactly what I need. But Jesus says, no, no, no. What you need is me. I'm really going to be the fulfillment that you need. So when you talk to me, when you apply my promises, and when you obey my voice, it's like Jesus is the sap that comes out of the vine into the branch. And it flows to my heart, and I find, oh, wow, I'm patient. That's amazing. I'm never patient. Wow. I actually like that person. Amazing. I have a vision for my life. I know what I should be doing. I never know what I'm supposed to be doing. You see, in that place of connectedness, we find orientation and a right heart to do what we're supposed to do as we talk to him, as we apply his promise, and as we obey his voice. There's like a sap that flows through us. I, I found this too um, a few years ago. My wife and I, she was working at Lummi as a teacher, first grade teacher on the Lummi Indian Reservation. And one of my most favorite memories of that time, she said to me once, she's like, hey, can we go to my classroom and pray over um, the students? And I went, oh, okay. You know, I'm like, this is a good thing to do. And did I bring my guitar or not? I don't really remember. But I don't know. We, we went there. I walk in the room. Let me tell you this. This is, this is key. I walk in that room just kind of doing the good thing, the right thing. I didn't feel my heart super moved or whatever. I walked in there, and we just started to pray for these kids. 
you guys, something supernatural happened to me that day. My eyes start welling up with tears. Like my heart's super moved. I'm like, oh my goodness, God really loves these kids. Here's what I found. When I start praying for what God cares about, his emotion for that thing enters my heart. He loves the kids out at Lummy. You start praying for the kids at Lummy, you'll find your heart being moved. Love starts flowing into you. Last week, uh, Nick and I went out for breakfast and we were sitting there and there was a guy in a bright green shirt. And I turned to Nick and I said, what would happen if we prayed for green shirt guy all week? And I don't know, but I can tell you I've been praying for green shirt guy. God cares about this guy that we saw across the way that we don't know, we might never meet, but it matters that we're praying things that have nothing to do with us. Some of those things that God cares about are things like this. Pray for the poor. Pray for Israel, the peace of Jerusalem. It's a really big deal to God. Pray for your neighbors to encounter God. Pray that Jesus would be exalted. You'll find when you pray for the things that move God's heart, he'll move your heart. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the model. He's the way, he modeled the way of how we connect to God. Secondly, he said this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser comes and he inspects the vine, or he inspects the branches. When the vine dresser comes to my life and your life, can I say this? He's not looking with a critical eye. He's looking with a caring eye. He's not looking at you and like, oh, you schmuck, you're horrible here, 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 here. No, he's coming because he loves the vine. He loves the branches. He wants what's good to flow out. But he measures success differently than we do. For example, if you had a giant vine and you had all these branches and on this branch, it's really bushy and green and there's lots of stuff going on. He's going to look through that and he's looking for fruit. And you know what a vine dresser often does to the long, bushy, green vine? He snips it. Why? He doesn't want the energy of the plant to go into leaves. He wants the energy of the plant to go into fruit. When God looks at your life and he looks at my life, he doesn't want our energy going into leaves. He wants our energy to go into fruit. And so sometimes God snips off things. Relationships. Influence. Uh, income. All sorts of things that we look and we like, why would you cut this off? I'm nice and big and bushy. I'm doing great. And God's like, snip. Why? Because he wants us to be successful. And so what we look at and we can feel like, man, God's like disciplining me. God's not for me. He must not like me. He's like, no, no, no. I really like you. I, I really have good things for you. And this is actually in the way of you advancing in life. So I'm actually going to snip that friendship, snip that opportunity, cut back this thing, cut back that thing. Why? Is it because God wants to, wants to limit you? No, he wants your growth to go in a direction. 
He's not looking for just increase in your life. He's looking for fruitfulness in your life. Romans 8, 28. I feel like this is a really important verse for all of us when we're walking through something not so fun. And we know that for those who love God, all things, how many things? Yeah, all of them. Work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So the vine dresser looks at you and I, and sometimes he cuts things back, but he's never cutting things back because he's not, he's not doing it to limit you, to harass you, to frustrate you. He's doing it that you would be more fruitful. It's for your good and his glory. It even says this with a vine dresser, they'll typically cut back about 80% of a vine every year. Here's something true about this too. What could be fruitful in one season could be just bushy leaves in another. In other words, there isn't a big formula to this. And you could feel like you're advancing and things are awesome one minute and the next minute that's all cut off and you're like, I thought God loved me. And he's like, oh, I do. But what served you well in this season isn't going to serve you well in this season. Because he's looking for fruit that will remain. And his fruit isn't necessarily always glamorous, big, on the stage, the sound and lights, big cash in the bank, all that stuff. It is more about the fruit of a life that is transformed inwardly that will also transform others around them. He's looking for fruit that will remain. This is a good verse and not, a, not always an easy verse. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Guess what? God is treating you like a son. Anybody had a father or a father figure correct them? Not always fun. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Next verse. If you are left without discipline in which all of us have participated, then you are, not Ill, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Let me just stop. Maybe some of you in this room, you're like, I don't really have a dad. But you do have a heavenly father. And if you ever experienced the discipline of God, you also have now experienced a loving father who's for your benefit. Any restraint that God puts, any word of correction, that is also a word of him saying, father, or like son, daughter, I love you. I'm for you. If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we all have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, that is our earthly fathers, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we might share in his holiness. Guys, God has a vision for our life, and it means fruitfulness. And his discipline is not to punish, it is actually for our benefit. For God works out all things for our good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I, I do want to say this, though, and I think this is really key. Not everything negative in your life is God saying, I'm coming to discipline you, okay? It's not like you have a bad thing happening. It's like, oh, this must be the love of God. That guy broke my leg. It must be the love of God. No, 
No, there is, there is the discipline of God. But I can say this, whenever God disciplines me, whenever God disciplines you, there is still a sense of an inner peace in my heart. There is still a sense of I'm not forsaken, I'm not abandoned. God's for me, he's with me. Man, this is horrible. I do not enjoy this, but he's for me. There's a sense of an inner peace. Second time, so there's God's discipline. Two, there's Satan's attack. And sometimes Satan comes, what? To kill, to steal, to destroy. There's no peace in that space. There's anxiety in that space. There's confusion in that space. There's death in that space. There's anger in that space. There's a whole turmoil in the heart. That's not God. So when Satan attacks, if you're taking notes, I really like this, this psalm. Psalms 118.10. Read that one sometimes. Psalms 118. David is basically coming under attack, and he says this line repeatedly, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. You have to sometimes in your day and in your life come and say, "Uh uh-uh, not today. That is not of God. God never will leave you abandoned, forsaken, lacking, broken, frustrated. There is always peace. There is always joy. There's always enough for God's kids. So when Satan comes in, we need to lift our voice and say, you know what? No, not today, Satan. God has something more for me today. He is not coming to to destroy me, but he's got something good for me. We declare God wins. Jesus wins. There's victory in the cross. And you have to sometimes say it out loud so you can do it, hear it for yourself. Sometimes the walls seem like they're coming in and you have to say, you don't know. My God's a provider. He is for me. He has a future for me. He's going to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Uh Uh-uh. God wins. I say no to this in Jesus' name. There's God's pruning, two. There's Satan's attack, three. There's man's weakness and man's sin. Sometimes people do things to us or where we do stuff, and there is a sense of brokenness and junk that happens in our world because of it, right? And in that, I have found that the best posture that I can bring in that space is, man, I just got to come to the cross again. You know, you never graduate from humility in Jesus. But I found that when I come humbly to God because of either something that was done against me or something that I'd done, and I simply say, Jesus, I come to you again with this broken pain, this frustration in my life, this space of loss, whatever it is, he brings redemption through it. My wife and I were talking one day on our balcony at our condo, and we had just walked through some stuff that was really difficult, and I had this picture in my head of Jesus in heaven Everybody's worshiping him, but I realized something. He still had his scars. When we go to heaven someday, Jesus will still have his nail-pierced hands, his broken side, and his pierced feet. Interesting. I thought there was no more sin in heaven. I thought there was no more death in heaven. I thought there was nothing. No, but here's what it is. Those spaces of of punishment, those spaces of pain, those spaces of bruising against Jesus, it's not there as a reminder of that. It's a reminder of his victory. So catch this. Where you've been broken, where you've been hurt, where things have not been right, those scars, those places of brokenness, 
They're not meant to be a reminder of the pain and suffering. They're meant to become a reminder of his victory. That he takes what's broken, he takes what's messed up, he takes our spaces of, man, I don't even know if I know how to handle money, I don't even, like the places of illness, all of that, and he wants it to make a place of victory in him. Jesus will have his scars forever as a testimony to his victory. And he wants our scars to be a place of testimony of victory. Last thing, there's, there's the place of man's sin and weakness. And lastly, there's just the place that we live in a broken, fallen world. And God said to Adam after they fell, he says, in, in turmoil and sweat, you are going to reap the fruit of the ground. You're going to work really hard, Adam, and it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy because of the curse of man. But I have found that there's something with thankfulness that really matters when it comes to, you see the, the brokenness and the frustration of everything around our world. When we come with a thankful heart, it opens our eyes to the possibilities of what God can do. There is something about coming in thankfulness when you don't feel very thankful. There's a story of a guy, I think this was the 1920s, right in the middle of the Great Depression, they didn't have enough money. It was the middle of winter. The guy was not making enough money for coal to heat um, in his house for his family. And so um, he was leaving to work one day and he was like, man, I don't know if we're going to stay warm tonight. And he just started thanking God. He's like, God, I just want to say thank you for how you provide. I want to say thank you for what you do. And he was walking by some docks. And as he walked by the docks, he saw this, this boat and there was a whole bunch, it was a coal boat. And he's just like, great. Awesome, a reminder of the fact that we don't have enough coal for tonight. Awesome. But instead of complaining about it, he said, God, thank you that you provide all my needs. He said that. He's walking along, and he looks at the boat, and he notices every time they take a load of coal off, a little bit of coal fell in the water. Like, huh, interesting. Goes to work, comes back. He's walking by the boat, by the dock again. The boat's gone. And he's just like, huh, I wonder grabbed a basket on a rope, lowered it to the bottom of the water, pulled it up. What did he pull it up with? A whole bunch of coal. But he would have missed it if he wouldn't have had a thankful heart. When I have a thankful heart, it opens my eyes to the possibilities of what God can do. We're kind of like metal detectors, folks. Whatever we're tuned into is what we find. What are you tuned into? In our Western mindset, we always see, often we see bigger is better. More money, more influence, more honor, more friends, more comfort. I'm successful. I'm fruitful. I have what I need. But the vine dresser is looking for fruitfulness and fruit that will remain. Someday your success, your popularity, your bank account won't really matter. And God's looking for you to have fruit that will matter for eternity. A lives transformed around you, your life transformed, true friendship and intimacy with God. He's looking for fruitfulness in your life. And sometimes his, his pruning can feel a lot like punishment, and it's not God's desire to punish, but to make you more fruitful. Fruitfulness is about possessing his love, his community, his, his purity, and then that being inspired in others. His, his fruitfulness is being connected to the true vine, and his fruit comes out. Not my love, not my patience, his love, his patience, his kindness pouring through me. 
I'll say this last little bit, and then we're going to be done. Jesus said these words, you're already clean because of the words I spoke to you. Sometimes when God speaks to us, it can cut right to the heart. You recognize you're out of alignment. You recognize you're not where you're supposed to be. God will cut. This pruning that God does in my life has nothing to do with sin. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're messing anything up. In fact, the, fruit, the pruning actually is happening in your life because you're going in the right direction. He prunes every branch that's connected to him. So if you're connected to Jesus, you're going to get pruned. The places of compromise in my life and in your life, God comes as a loving father in discipline. And he's like, hey, Jeremy, you know this shouldn't be here, right? I'm like, yeah. You know that that's actually cutting you off from me. You see, compromise disconnects me from the vine. And what happens to the vine that's disconnected? It withers. It shrivels up. And when a disconnected, shriveled up branch tries to act like a vibrant branch, it looks really strained. You ever try to do this Christianity thing on your own? When you're disconnected from God and you're trying to be loving and patient and peaceful and have self-control, you put on that forced grin and you're like, this is not fun. But when I'm abiding in him, talking to him, applying his promises, obeying his leadership, it's effortless. God wants to free us from the place of us working really hard to do all that God has for us. He wants to bring us into a place of fruitfulness where we have fruit that actually flows out of us, not because we're trying hard, but just because we're connected. This is God's plan for you and for me, fruitfulness. And that's what I got to say. Two thoughts. One, some of you in this room have recently made a commitment to Christ. Or maybe you've never made a commitment to Christ and you're saying, I need to. We're going to be doing a, a baptism service in September for everybody that wants to say, I want to I step across the line. And I'm, I'm inviting you to make a commitment today to say, I'm going to make a public, and it's important that it's public because this is a thing, this is a whole life thing. This isn't a Sunday, raise your hands and go home thing. This is an all life, Monday through Sunday, seeking God thing. In September, we're going to have a baptism service. And what that signifies is I'll ask you, are you willing? Are you going to renounce living your way and say, I'm going to follow God's way? And you go under the water, dying to your ways, and you come up living in, to Jesus' way. And Paul said it best. He says this, it's no longer I that live, but that crisis lives through me. And this is what I want to invite you into. So there's some of you in this room today. It's time. It's time to not just be connected and disconnected. It's time to say, I'm connected. You're not going to get it all perfect. We're all a piece of work, Right? but you're saying, I am going to make it my ambition to stay connected because I want true fruitfulness out of my life. I want something that's going to remain to come out of my life. So I'm going to call, I'm, going to, I'm making that call today that it's time to get baptized, make a public confession of I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. You might have done it privately. It's time to do it publicly. 
The second thing I wanted to say today is that some of you might be kind of offended at God's pruning. God, I'm kind of ticked because I liked that part of my branch in my life. Can I just remind you, he's a loving father. He's not trying to hurt you. He's got good things for you. I want to invite you to simply release that and say, God, I I want to allow the thankfulness in your heart to overtake the offense and allow God to finish his work in and through your life. So I'm just going to invite Nick, if he could just pop up and tickle those ivories or those strings rather. But seriously, if everyone could just look at me for a sec. If you've made a confession of faith, it's time. I just want to say, you want to step across the line. It's time. If Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, what are you waiting for? It's time. And second of all, you might be in a space of offense. Don't resist his pruning. Let him prune you because it's going to be that you're going to bear more fruit. You will be at a greater place of fulfillment than you could ever hope for. Your plans, my plans, they're lame, folks. They're lame. I'm not saying the passions of your heart are lame. I'm not saying how God made you is lame. I'm saying a life self-directed, separated from the vine, will be forced and frustrated. Anybody ever live that? Lift your hand if you've ever done the whole thing. I'm trying to do it my way. It's forced and it's frustrating. He wants his life to flow through you. If we could all just stand on up. This is to get you awake and moving. You just put your hands out in front of you like this. Jesus, we want to be connected. I'm, I just want to be the first in line to say I, I know what it is to do things my way. Everyone just say this with me. Jesus, wash me. Let's just say that again. Jesus, wash me. God, I just pray every space where we, we've tried to do things in our own effort, in our own way, God, we confess that we haven't, we haven't attained what we've hoped for anyway. And you've promised success true fruitfulness to flow out of our lives. And so we just confess right now, Jesus, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. So God, I just pray a conviction all across this room that our self-directed living doesn't work. I pray that conviction in our hearts. And we would recognize that you have a plan that's so much better. If that's your heart this morning that you want to have a a God-directed life. Can you just lift your hands to heaven? Can we just do that? It's a sign of surrender. It's public on purpose. Jesus, we, uh, we just come to you recognizing we need you to be the leader of our heart and our life. And we just say all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in your presence daily living. God, I pray that you would burn these three things on our hearts today. Number one, we need to talk to you. Number two, we need to apply your promises. And number three, we need to obey your voice when you speak to us. Help. God, we're so quick to wander and get lost and frustrated and distracted. God, help. Help me, God. I need help. 
We just say you're willing to give us help. And God, we pray for anyone in this room, God, that might get offended, frustrated at your work in their life. God, I I just pray, help us to let it go. We just give you our offense, our frustration. I pray thankfulness. God, I pray we'd be like that guy with the coal ship. We would see the possibilities that you're putting in front of us. You're not here to hamper us. You're putting us in a good place. And everyone said, amen.